You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this morning is Nahum 1, verse 7 through chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, O Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and counsels wickedness. This is what the Lord says. Although they have alleys and are numerous, they will be cut off and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, O Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the carved images and cast idols that are in the temples of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress, watch the road, brace yourselves, marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines. The text for the sermon is Nahum 1, verse 15. Look there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, how do we celebrate our holy days in the church? How do we celebrate, for example, Good Friday and Easter? Maybe the question is no question at all for you. How do we celebrate? Well, we go to the church, of course. And remember what the Lord has done on those days specifically. And for the rest we celebrate as family or friends. Come together for a meal. We have a short vacation. That's how we celebrate. Now first of all I have to commend you for that. That you celebrate. That's a good thing. It's good to encourage each other as Christians as families, by celebrating the holy days, the holidays of the church. 
There has been a time in church history that I most likely would not have commended you for celebrating the holidays. There has been a time in church history when all that church members did was going from one festival to the other. In medieval times, really, one out of three days was a holiday to honor a saint, to celebrate a miracle for whatever reason. Easter celebrations would last for half a week. Christmas, the same. In those days, a reformation was necessary so that the church and its members would understand again, look, whatever you celebrate, the preaching of the gospel comes first. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. In the beginning was the word. Listen first, but then celebrate. That lesson we have learned well. And then indeed, let's celebrate. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah. This is a biblical commandment, and it is the text for this sermon. Now, we have to realize that Nahum is addressing Judah and points to their celebrations, being Passover, the Feast of Weeks, at the occasion of the New Harvest, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And they could read about those feasts in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. And then they could read how the Lord wanted them to celebrate them. We do not celebrate their festivals in their way anymore. But listen, if the people of the Lord in the days before Christ were summoned to celebrate so often, so intense, then it is only reasonable that we, the people of the Lord after the coming of Christ, have to celebrate with even greater joy. In the beginning was the word, yes. But in the end there we will be the celebration. The week to come, we will celebrate Good Friday. On Sunday, it's Easter. We will celebrate. But let us try to listen to what the Bible teaches about celebrating our festivals the right way. We want to celebrate in a Christian way. Let us prepare ourselves for those celebrations by listening to what God's prophet Nahum has said about Celebrating. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah. Yes, Nahum, we will celebrate. Tell us how to celebrate God the way God wants us to. And Nahum answers three questions when it comes to celebrating. When, what, and why. When shall we celebrate? What shall we celebrate? And why? Look there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. These are the words of Nahum's prophecy in the year, say, 660 before Christ or so. The words of Nahum spoken in the city of Jerusalem. The prophet invites his hearers to stand right next to him on the city walls, peering, staring, look, no, no, look there. A small cloud of dust caused by the feet of a fast runner must be a messenger. 
must be bringing good news. Must he? Well, that's the question. The, the prophet stands on the walls of Jerusalem, but here, Jerusalem is no longer the proud city it had been in the days of old, the days of the powerful kings. The city of Jerusalem is hiding like a frightened bird, hiding in her nest, alarmed by every sound. Jerusalem, in the year 660 before Christ, is not looking forward to hear good news from over the mountains. Jerusalem fears the coming of a messenger, fears the tales of terror he will bring. The days were evil, the days of Assyrian supremacy, a time of war and not of peace. Let us, for a moment, look around in our own days and are they not evil as well? Now I don't look, I don't advise, I don't invite you to look around in our days as if I'd suggest that Nahum's prophecies about uh, their time are simply the same about our days. He speaks the word of the Lord in his days and we should respect that. But what the prophet of the Lord may say in his situation has very likely something to tell us about how God will act and react in any situation like that. At least, that's what I would like to make clear in this sermon. So so therefore I ask you just to compare the situation and to look around us today. Can we compare the situation of Jerusalem in Nahum's days to our situation today? I do think so. On a world scale, it was not so long ago that the whole Western world was very confident. New technology, new supremacy, new economy, guided by the United States, the West would rule the world and bring peace everywhere. Today, that dream has shattered. The days are evil again, and we hear news of wars and terror. The days are evil, and not only in the world. We also may, may take a look around us in the Church of Christ, the new city of Jerusalem in a certain way. The 20th century, I heard, thus far holds the record of secessions. But you don't have to be an ecclesiastical Al Gore to predict the development of that curve. It may well continue in the 21st century. And looking around and seeing all those different churches, even without analyzing their uh, doctrine, just acknowledging the fact that we seem not to be able to hold each other, to reach out to each other, does not really give us much reason to celebrate, does it? And what if, and that's private, what if you look around in your personal life, there are days for you too, that when you pick up the phone, you only expect to hear the next sad message, evil days. 
Nevertheless, this is the message of the prophet of the Lord. There on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. In the middle of the evil days, look, there comes a messenger who proclaims peace. And as it happens, we really need the eyes of a prophet to see that. We really need to be clairvoyant, to understand the message of peace, that this messenger who is running through the mountains toward Jerusalem, that he really brings good news. All you see is the dust whirled up by his running feet. All you can read from that is that he must be in a hurry. You cannot see the man is a bringer of good news. It's only reasonable to expect the opposite. But no, this is the claim of the prophets of the Lord. Here comes a bringer of good news. Now we have to realize that the Spirit of God gives us the gift of this prophecy. This prophecy that there is good news. So in this world where you may not always see God, the Lord finds reason to speak of joy. That means that we would be sinning against this prophecy, against the Spirit, if all we could see was sadness and disappointment. We did not receive a Spirit that makes us slaves again to fear. We did receive a Spirit of faith and hope. Because we did receive the word of faith and hope from the prophets of the Lord. Does that imply that we see no reason to fear or that there is no evil out there and in here? No, it doesn't. But, says the Lord, but. So it's very easy to be a prophet of the Lord yourself. You only have to know one word. But, but there is hope. And if you can't say that, you'll have to mend your ways. Or listen. Listen. There on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. He proclaims peace. Apparently someone has to tell us. We will not just be looking around ourselves, talking of peace and peace while there is no peace, we'll not just be digging deep inside ourselves to find solid ground and peace within our own hearts. Someone else has to tell us peace. God has to bring that gospel. Peace. And then our reaction has to be, Lord, if you say so, then our reaction has to be, Lord, if your prophet speaks of peace, then peace there is. But do accept then that word of the Lord. Do accept the gift of this prophecy. The Holy Spirit speaks through Nahum. Look, peace. But the people of the Lord in his days were not too eager to look and listen. I don't say that to put blame on our brothers and sisters from the past. I say it to make clear that 
We all need the light of the Spirit in our eyes and His hearing aid for our ears. Otherwise, we don't see and we don't understand, even if we are the people of the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ once said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. That's a warning for us to accept the word of the Lord. Speaking of peace, even when times are evil. And then on the basis of that gospel, celebrate. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. Now what then will we celebrate? Well, in the days of Nahum, the answer was obvious. The prophet didn't need a new message from the Holy Spirit when it comes to the question, what to celebrate? Everybody could look it up in his Bible. Celebrate your festivals, the festival of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles, then the Sabbaths, the Feast of New Moon, you name it. What is remarkable in a message of Nahum is not that he reminds Israel to celebrate their festivals. What is remarkable is the timing, the situation in which he reminds them to celebrate. What he asks is obvious. Celebrate your festivals. Now we have seen thus far that we can compare the situation of the prophecy to our situation. How then will we apply this command in itself? How shall we celebrate? Maybe we could ask, for example, the younger members of the congregation of the church. In Chilliwack, once one of them asked me if we could have some kind of celebration when in April uh, we had the last catechism class. Well, that's obviously a reason to celebrate. And I asked the young brother uh, how he would make, how we could make a nice celebration. Now, I tell you, and you will believe me, that we had no problem coming up with a lot of good and maybe some not-so-good ideas to celebrate. But everybody understands that there may be a difference between plans for a nice party and a celebration at church. And... One of the reasons, or part of the reason for that, is that we feel there is a difference between just a party and a holy celebration. And we recognize that. But there is more to say. In the days of the Great Reformation, it was absolutely necessary to reform, indeed, the celebrations in the church. In the Roman Catholic tradition, all emphasis had gone towards visible beauty and impressive use of colors and rich materials and music and so on and so on. Beautiful celebrations, absolutely. But in the church is not what is invisible, more important than what touches the eye. You can enjoy the beauty of a stained glass window But does it speak the gospel to you? You can admire the solemn beauty of a mass. But does it make your faith grow? The churches of the Reformation decided to abolish 
all this outer glory. Churches were all painted white. The impressive statues removed. The pulpit placed in the center. And no longer were the believers' eyes impressed with splendor, but their ears with the word of the Lord. And rightly so. But would it be enough when we apply the message of Nahum, the command to celebrate our festivals, is it enough if we apply that, for example, totally to our church services on Sunday? Are we done when we come and listen? I do think there is more to it. Nahum's sermon was, Thus says the Lord, there will be peace. But then the command that followed from it was, celebrate your festivals. And I think that A and B still counts. Listen to the word of the Lord, the gospel. Then celebrate. Let me first apply this commandment to a celebration we do all know and recognize. The commandment to celebrate the sacraments the Lord Jesus Christ commanded us to use baptism and the Lord's Supper. Heidelberg Catechism says the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel, that's A, and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments, that's B. Celebrate the sacraments. Why? Because the Lord not only gave us ears to hear, but also a mouth to taste, to taste that the Lord is good, and senses to feel to feel that the Spirit cleanses us, and eyes to see, to see that His promises are for real. If you want to rely only on what you hear, you underestimate the power of God's enemy, who can deceive your thoughts. And you underestimate the care of God, who wants to surround you with His, the life He gives you. So celebrate the sacraments. But if we go further back in history, it is not so that um, the celebrations in the Old Testament, the liturgy of the temple, if you will, um, it is true that it was much more directed towards the visible as opposed to the spiritual that characterizes the New Testament celebrations of the church. Indeed, that is something to take into account. Only, we do have to find a way to make clear to ourselves that our spiritual way of celebrating is indeed more and richer and deeper than the old visible style. And that is my second application of Nahum's commandments to celebrate. Think about what we celebrate. In Nahum's days, Passover was a reminder of the liberation of Egypt and a promise of the Lord's eternal deliverance. In our days, Easter is celebrating that definitive liberation out of the land of slavery of sin. In Nahum's days, the Feast of Weeks was a harvest festival to thank the Lord for the land and its visible fruits. In our times, we celebrate Pentecost to thank the Lord for the gift of the Spirit and His spiritual fruits. 
Then the Feast of Tabernacles was a reminder of the journey towards the promised land. But shall we then not celebrate every week our journey to a new and everlasting Jerusalem? What will we celebrate so much more than Israel could ever imagine? Our spiritual joy about the mighty deeds of our Lord should surpass the visible joy of the Israelites in their celebrations because of what we celebrate. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. Allow me to just apply that second half of that sentence to our situation to find some way to Celebrate in a spiritual way what God has done. Fulfill your vows. You probably can't imagine what that meant in the days of Nahum. There must have been believers who had promised the Lord to bring a sacrifice in the temple or to give alms to the needy in case the Lord would give peace. Now Nahum says, go ahead. Fulfill your vows. And the Israelites, the Jude, uh, the people from Jerusalem might well ask, why? Should we fulfill our vows right now? While it is war? No, says the prophet. You should fulfill your vows right now while it is peace. You understand? Now, I don't suppose that one of you has made a vow like this to the Lord. But there is this general vow that binds us believers in the days after Christ's first coming. We owe him our lives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. To celebrate implied to Judah, fulfill your vows. Even if the times are evil for God, cease and promises peace to us, it implies, to show every day how thankful we are for the mighty deeds of God in Christ, who is the promised peace of the Lord, how evil times may be. The mighty deeds of God in Christ. I want to elaborate on that in the third and last point of this sermon. We celebrate to remember God's mighty acts in history. But those acts are not isolated incidents in the ocean of time. Those acts are the very proof of God's everlasting and continuous care. The great plans he has with the world and with us. In the words of Nahum, No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. When we study Nahum, when we study the direct context of this verse, we find a characteristic of the prophet's style that underlines the prophet's message. The wicked who invade Judah, chapter 1, verse 15, they have a negative compliment in Nahum 2, verse 1, an attacker advancing against Nineveh. And then the same goes for his words, 115, to call his words uh, to look out on Jerusalem's walls for the coming of a herald of good tidings. Those words have 
their opposite in the call to Nineveh to guard her fortress and to watch the road. And the call to celebrate festivals in Judah has its counterpart in the call to brace themselves and to mobilize all the strength in Nineveh. A mirror, joy to the people of the Lord, fear and disaster to his enemies. Now the problem is that Nahum prophesied his prophecy while the walls of Nineveh were still standing strong, while the armies of Assyria devastated the surrounding nations year after year. But from that, we understand the very character of the prophecy to see things that are not yet. But actually, the situation was worse than that. Nahum's prophecies of peace and no more war. He prophesied them at a moment that Jerusalem still had to be devastated. It would be like me speaking of words of eternal life while you know the day of your death has to come. How can the prophet of the Lord speak of no more invasions when the great destruction is still to come? Well, don't get him wrong. This is the message of the prophet of the Lord. Peace forever. No more wicked invaders. No more. But then the question rises, was the prophet of the Lord mistaken? No, he is not. This no more is not a slip of the pen of Nahum because his holy hope was stronger than reality. No, this is the very core of the heart of the message of this prophet. No more. In these two words you find the gospel according to Nahum. No more. It is the gospel of the love of the Lord and his anger against anything that bridles his love. We read in Nahum 1 verse 9, Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time, no more. I see it in verse 12. Although they have alleys and are numerous, they will be cut off and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, O Judah, I will afflict you no more. No more. But look then, this is not only the gospel of the Lord according to Nahum. This is a very characteristic of all the prophets of the Lord, and therefore a message of the Lord himself. Isaiah says the same, Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. And we may ask, why should your Jerusalem dress to celebrate? Isaiah gives the answer. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. No more. The word of the Lord. And we have to understand. We who hear this prophecy, we have to understand that the Lord, thereby asks us to look beyond our questions, to look beyond the evil we see around us. The Lord asks us to look at history from his level. God says no more. 
And even if we see Jerusalem destroyed, even if we see people whom we love pass away, if we see the temple defiled, the church shattered, the prophets persecuted, our brothers and sisters in other countries not safe for their lives, even if we see the Son of God murdered, all the Lord says is, no more. Now you are free to believe what you want, your own eyes, or the prophets, the promise of the Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ, who came in order to fulfill God's vow, once for all, with his unique sacrifice. And there God said, definitively, no more. So the people of the Lord are not a frightened bird hiding on its nest. On the contrary, the enemy may be like a roaring lion. We will celebrate, be it Passover or Easter, we will celebrate. For we have seen how God has carried us on eagle's wings and brought us to himself. Be it a feast of weeks or Pentecost, we will celebrate. For we have seen how God renews our youth like an eagle's. Be it the Feast of Tabernacles or our weekly Sundays, we will celebrate. Because we know that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on their wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. No more. Basically, all of you are invited to the celebration of the wedding of the Lamb. Will you come? You will be taken home. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.